holiday season. We're going to keep this series, but we're going to look at some different kind of individuals. Each week in this series, we've looked at different individuals through the Old Testament and the New Testament, different characters, and uh, we've examined how their faith can teach us some lessons, how, how what they learned through faith, how they exhibited faith can teach us lessons. We've looked at popular people. We've looked at people with no names, people that uh, we probably wouldn't recognize in any other time. And and we've learned some great lessons. But this morning is a real simple lesson. It's something really that uh, uh, I would would hesitate in church to say it's something every one of us know. But sometimes we forget. Uh, A story told of a pastor that was called to the hospital late one evening. Uh, He was told that a man was in the hospital that he needed to visit that probably wouldn't live through the night, probably on his deathbed. Uh, If he made it through the evening, it would be a miracle, but he wouldn't make it through another day. And uh, So the man left to go to the hospital. Now, while the man wasn't a member of this pastor's church, he was very familiar with him. You see, that man's wife and his two kids were both members of the pastor's church. Uh, Matter of fact, the pastor had baptized all three of them. He'd even presided over the the daughter's marriage, so he was well familiar with the family. But all through the years, every time he had a contact with this man, uh, whether it was in the home, whether it was in the community, whether it was out around town, this man had always been hostile towards the pastor. Matter of fact, he'd openly made fun of the pastor, made fun of the Christian faith. Wasn't anything that he centered out for just the pastor it was just the way that that man was matter of fact he made fun of his wife for her faith Uh, she confided to the pastor that every sunday when they would get up to get ready to go to church he would go to the golf course and as they were leaving he would make fun calling them weak-willed and gullible and uh, make fun of christianity matter of fact he would even use god's name in vain and, and 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 do it just to get a rise out of her He did the same thing to the kids, uh, uh, telling them that that cowards followed religious faith and weak-willed people were the ones who got sucked up into this church stuff. He was the same way in the community. He was well-known. He was popular. Um, But he wasn't somebody that anyone liked. Matter of fact, he had made his money, he had made his popularity, he had made his fame all on the backs of other people, all stepping on other people along the way. So I don't think anyone in that town probably would have been sad to hear that he was going to pass. Pastor made his way to the hospital room not knowing what to expect. He walked in, there was the family. Man was in the bed, barely awake. Gathered the family together. They began to pray at the end of the bed and they held hands and began to pray for the man. As they began to pray, out of his mouth, he could tell he was saying something. They stopped praying, and they listened, and what the man was saying is, it's too late. It's too late. The pastor went over and asked him, what, what do you mean it's too late? He says, it's just too late for me, pastor. Save your prayers. The pastor began to explain to him, knowing that it would be like a brick wall. He'd done it time and time again. But he began to explain to him that, that as long as he had breath, it was never too late. That Jesus could, could always touch someone's life. And as he shared, the, the, the man was looking at the pastor and finally said, Pastor, you don't understand. It, it just wouldn't be fair. Barely mumbling the words out of his lips. And the pastor said, what do you mean it wouldn't be fair? He said, it just wouldn't be fair. The man went on. He said, you know, it, it wouldn't be fair to my wife. For all that I've done to her, all the things that I've done against her and her faith, it wouldn't be fair. Pastor said, it wouldn't be fair for what? He said, it wouldn't be fair for me at this time in my life to ask Jesus into my heart. 
He said, it wouldn't be fair to my kids. You don't understand what I put them through. You don't understand how mean I was to them. Wouldn't be fair to the community. I stepped on people. I walked on people. I, I, I was known in this community to make fun of you and make fun of the church and make fun of anyone that followed faith. He began to mumble again as he eyes began to close saying it's not fair. It wouldn't be fair. The pastor leaned into him and at that moment a point of wisdom leaned into his ear and said, you're right. It wouldn't be fair. But lucky for you, Jesus isn't in the fair business. And at that point, he began to tell him again about grace, about unconditional love, and about mercy. And the pastor explains that he said as he was whispering in this man's ears so he could hear him for the first time, that mean, hateful, anti-Christian man heard about grace not with his head but with his heart the pastor said the man's countenance began to change and there with his last few breaths on the last day of his long life that man gave his life to Jesus Christ now you and I should shout at those stories amen God saved someone but in the back of our hearts, if we're honest, we struggle with those kind of stories. It's difficult for us. Now we can act like we don't, but spiritually we ask ourselves, do you, do you really think that man was saved? I mean, do you think that in that last moment that he wasn't just scared of dying or he wasn't just uh, trying to hedge his bets? Do you really think that that man went to, to heaven? I get more questions asked about deathbed conversions than almost anything else. Pastor, do you think it's real? Pastor, do you think those really, that, that prisoner on death row that, that is about to get wheeled into the uh, execution chamber, do you think it, it's real when they pray to receive Christ right then? You see, I think for us, the issue is we struggle with grace. See, we, we don't understand it. We talk about it. We don't really understand it. Because you see, we, we tell ourselves, but that man never went to church. He wasn't even baptized. He, he never gave a dime to the church. He never was in a Bible study. He, he never had a quiet time, right? I mean, he never had to work in the nursery. Never had to go on a youth trip as a sponsor. He, you know, he never had to come at a work day or fix a breakfast early one morning. Now, we don't say all that, but in the back of our mind, we think, it can't really be real. What makes a conversion real? So we ask ourselves, was that man really saved? Well, this morning, I want to let Jesus answer that question. And in answering that question, it points out something about faith that we have a tendency to overlook. Something about faith that we sometimes confuse. So if you have your Bible, you have the blue sheet, and I put most of the passages on there for you, I want you to look at just a real short story. Luke's version of the last few minutes of Jesus' life. And in this little passage, Luke includes an exchange that's not listed in the other Gospels. An exchange that 
gives us not only the answer if that man was saved, it gives us an answer about how faith can change any life. You see, when we think of the cross today and the next few weeks and this week and next, the cross will be significant in everything we sing about. We just sang three songs about the cross. It's probably the most popular symbol in the world today for a faith. You see it everywhere. You see it in churches. You see it in front of churches, on churches. You see it in cemeteries. You see it uh, jewelry. People wear it as jewelry. We wear it as necklaces. We put a sticker on our car. The cross is everywhere. But it wasn't always like that. See, 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire, the cross was not a popular symbol. Matter of fact, it was just the opposite. You see, when you saw a cross, it meant suffering and it meant shame. And it meant persecution. See, the cross was the worst way that the Roman Empire had to execute someone. It was reserved for the worst of the worst, the worst thieves that they figured would never come back from their thievery. For it was reserved for runaway slaves. Matter of fact, during the, the uh, insurrection, when Spartacus, and it's a true story, when Spartacus and the slaves rebelled against Rome, when they captured all those slaves, they said the Roman road for 300 miles outside of Rome. Every few feet there was another slave that was crucified. So that anyone coming into Rome from all directions would see a slave on a cross. It was so bad that It was said that Roman citizens couldn't be executed on a cross because it was too shameful of a way to die. And so for the first two to three hundred years of the establishment of the church, you didn't see the cross in the church. They wouldn't even allow it in in, in any type of artwork. It was shameful. It was punishing. It was suffering. And it wasn't until Constantine came around in uh, the middle of the fourth century that he put a cross on his shield more as a symbol of good luck rather than representing the Christian faith. But after that, around 400, 425, we began to see the cross crop up in artwork in the church. And the reason people think that is because by that time, anyone that had ever seen a crucifixion take place live was dead. Because if you ever saw somebody crucified, you wouldn't want to celebrate the cross. Did I miss something? No. Oh. <laughs> Might go out, y'all. Y'all lose me. Oh, I can't hear it. Sorry about that. That better? No. You wouldn't even think to put the cross on something. But today, when we think of the cross, this week when we sang about the cross, the victory of the cross, it represents forgiveness, and it represents. A changed life. But on that morning, when Jesus woke up from being beaten, from his sham trial, from being whipped, from having a crown of thorns jammed down on his head, and he was gathered up and told to pick up that big piece of wood, the cross didn't mean celebration, it meant suffering. So there on that road that led outside of Jerusalem, Jesus joined two thieves. You remember there were supposed to be three thieves that day. Barabbas was supposed to be the one with his two thieving friends. But the crowd had cried out, let Barabbas go, crucify Jesus. 
So there Jesus, the Son of God, gathered with two thieves, counted among thieves, to fulfill Isaiah 53, 12, that said he would be counted with the transgressors. Jesus began to make his way to a place they called the skull. Which in Roman language, in Greek language, is called Golgotha. Made his way up that hill, they laid him out, and there with those two thieves, they hung him on the cross. Luke picks up that story in the last moments of Jesus' life. Listen to what it says in verse 38. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. Now, you remember the Jewish people didn't want it to say, This is the king of the Jews. They wanted to say, He thinks he is the king of the Jews. But Pilate had the last word. So there was a sign above him in three different languages that said, This is the king of the Jews. It said, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. And you can picture these two criminals, both of them, going through the same thing Jesus went through, dying on the cross. Matter of fact, Matthew's version said, as they walked down the road, both criminals were hurling insults at Jesus, laughing at him. So you're a king. Get us down. Save yourself. Save us. And here in their last breaths, in the last few moments, as they hung on that cross, they were mocking Jesus. And it said, the one said, aren't you the Christ? If you are, save us. But then, on the other side, the other criminal rebuked his thieving friend. He said, don't you fear God? Since you and I are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answers with one of the most incredible statements that we could imagine, a statement that shakes up everything we would think. Here's a man that was just hurling insults. Here is a thief that's getting what he deserves. Here is Jesus on this middle cross not deserving his punishment, doing it for our sake. And this thief, looks over, says, Jesus, remember me. In that moment, Jesus said, today, you will be with me in paradise. See, we read that story. You've heard that story before. What I just told you is nothing new. But we miss the incredible picture of what takes place. Talk about a deathbed conversion. What happened? How did this thief go from, from being on a cross and, and insulting Jesus to all of a sudden believing that there was something different about Jesus? Because you see, somewhere between the time that he got on the cross and the time that this interaction took place, I think maybe it was when Jesus, that Luke tells us earlier, had said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Maybe it was Jesus' countenance. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit. Maybe it was something Jesus said that, that didn't get recorded but but here on the cross this thief this one who deserved punishment this one who rejected christ had a change of heart and as one hurled insults the other recognized that jesus was different and on that cross as one of the criminals was dying for his sins the other was dying to his sins 
as one on this side rejected and rebelled, turned his back. The one thief received and repented. And it changed him for eternity. You see, what you and I don't realize is that salvation is so simple. Salvation is so easy. We miss it. And in this example on the cross, what what Jesus is trying to remind us when He says, I will remember you when you come into your kingdom, when He says, today you will be with me in paradise, what Jesus wants us to understand in those few words is not just your life is changed, not just your eternity is changed, but you will be with me. You see the word paradise there, which most of us would just think He's talking about heaven. It's a deeper word. In the Persian language, which is where paradise comes from, it means the king's garden. Because you see, a Persian king, the highest honor he could bestow on a, a regular person that wasn't a noble, that wasn't a king, is to say, I'm going to allow you to be my companion in the king's garden. I'm going to allow you somewhere special. I'm going to allow you to be able to walk with me. And so they became known as the king's companion, someone who got into paradise. And so what Jesus was saying on the cross to this thief who deserved death, who deserved punishment, is is not only will I remember you, not only is your eternity changed, but you will be with me. Your whole identity has changed. See, the world may count you a thief. The world may count you as someone deserving of this. But by your faith, you're defined differently. All because he trusted. Now what does that do with our story that I gave you earlier? How does that do deal with all the things that we talked about? He was a criminal. He was a thief. He was getting what he deserved. It's what the world saw. But Jesus saw him differently. He saw him as someone who was forgiven. And faith changed it all. So what do we take away from that? What do we remember from this story? Well, as I said, it's real simple. Nothing that's rocket science this morning. The first thing which jumps out to me is it's never too late for anybody. It's never too late. As long as someone has breath, there's still a chance for them to give their life to God. As long as someone is still breathing. This man on the cross in his last moments, lived a life that was degradation, lived a life that was horrible, lived a life that turned his back on God, and in the last moments, gave his life to God, and his eternity was changed. You see, as I said earlier, that bothers us. Because we say, well, how do you know? Because you see, when we say no, we, we like to say, well, what did he do after he got saved that showed that he got saved? But you see, you don't do anything after you get saved to show you got saved. I, I, don't, I don't do the things that God calls me to do to prove that I'm saved. I just do them because I am saved. And we confuse those. And so we like to say, how do you know if someone's a believer? It's because of these things that they do. No, that's too complicated. You see, what Jesus is reminding us here on this cross with one thief on one side and the other standing here is that He still comes to save sinners. 
He still comes to save those that are lost. And this morning, you and I need to recognize that it's never too late for anyone. We don't need to give up. Don't stop praying. Don't stop reaching out. Don't stop looking for someone to share and to show Jesus' love for. And for those of you here this morning that, that are struggling with understanding what Jesus has done for you, there's nothing you can do too bad that Jesus can't save you. See, Jesus still saves. And it's never too late. John 3.17, which sometimes gets overlooked by its brother verse that comes before the word says the son of god did not come to condemn the world but to save the world see it's never too late the second lesson for us this morning which is probably just as important is all that god requires of us all that god requires of any person is a simple faith in jesus christ Think about that. See, salvation is wondrously simple. We make it so complicated sometimes. You got to go to this class. You got to say this prayer. Repeat after me. I remember when I first got into ministry and they were trying to teach me the sinner's prayer and how to, how to lead someone in the sinner's prayer. I remember the first person that came to me and I was 21, 19, 20 first person came and I was in a retreat setting and the kid wanted to get saved and all I could think about was what if I mess up the words and, and he doesn't pray the words just the way that I pray the words and what if he doesn't say them just right and so I'm trying to remember and what if I leave something out and, and in the middle of that understanding that, that it's not that hard it's not that complicated a man on the cross looked over at Jesus and said, Remember me. And in saying, Remember me, what he was saying was, Save me. He was admitting that I, I can't save myself, but I believe that you can. I believe there's something different about you. And in doing that, he put his faith in Jesus in those simple words, Remember me. You see what I want to tell you this morning? When you say, I can't tell somebody about Jesus, I can't lead somebody to Jesus, it's so simple. Remember me. It's so... right in front of us. It's just about a person crying out in their heart to God. You don't have to wait till the last verse of a song you don't have to wait till the altars are clear. You don't have to wait till the end of a service. You don't have to wait till you're in church. You can do it right where you are when God speaks to your heart. And that's all it takes. I had a friend tell me one time that I think when we get to heaven, this was his statement, we're going to be surprised at how many people aren't there. I said, I think you're wrong. I think we're going to get to heaven and be surprised at how many are. Because you see, you and I, we delve in the fair business. Doesn't seem fair. Because as I said last week, we confuse this book as being a book about 
good people and bad people. But it's not. It's about bad people and a good God. And you and I, when you got saved, you didn't get fair. You got grace. You didn't get what you deserved. You got grace. Because you see, we're all bad people. We're all that thief on the cross that has turned our back on God and cursed Him. And out of His mercy and His grace, He said, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. See, we make it so hard and so complicated and make people try to jump through hoops. I believe the devil's a liar. I think he's blinded people in the church to think that it's too late for me or I'm, I, I can't change or I haven't done anything that deserves it. Listen, you'll never deserve it. There's nothing you can do to deserve it. There's nothing you can do to buy it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. All it takes is a heart crying out to God. But it takes doing it at the moment that God speaks to you. Right where you are. I remember in my last church, I, I came from a traditional Baptist background. You know, if you got an amen one time in a service, that was a victory. And you went and marked it down. Uh, my last church was much more demonstrative. They were charismatic in some of their ways and uh, people would shout at you in the service and holler at you you know give it to them or amen and you know start clapping in the middle of you told a funny story they clap and it, it would throw me off all the time i, I you try to preach and then all of a sudden somebody stands up and says, give it to them you know amen you know and it kind of shocks you but I, I figured i'd seen it all after i'd been preaching there a little while but one sunday morning and it, 4,000 people and you're preaching filling in for my pastor and in the middle of a message as I was talking I, I don't remember what I said I don't remember how I said it but whatever I said the man that was middle of the way towards the back got up and walked down the aisle and he came and he stood right in front of me when I'm preaching and you know I, I thought well I'll, I'll ignore him he'll go away and so I just kept preaching and, and he was just standing there, and I thought, I'm not going to be able to ignore this. And, and so I kind of just stopped what I was doing, and everything was paused. And I said, can I, can I help you? Do you need something? Can I get someone to pray with you? Clear as anything else, he just said, I need Jesus. And I stopped. I thought, well, as a pastor, what do you do? I thought, well, I've got a great message here, I, you know. I, I, I'm halfway through. I hadn't even got ready to land this thing, you know. Or, um, you know, I thought, what, what do you do? I, can I get somebody to come and usher him out and maybe take him in another room? And I'm dealing with all this in my head while he's standing there just looking at me. Everybody else is just staring at me. In the back of my head, the Holy Spirit said he's not the only one. And so with wisdom that only comes from the Holy Spirit, I said, this man says he wants Jesus. Is there anyone else? People began to stand up, come down the aisle. Talk about messing up the order of worship. But you see, when God speaks, we're called to respond. And on that cross, there was a choice. You can reject Him, or you can receive Him. But no choice is a choice. Because you see, we, that cross in the middle 
If that was the cross of rejection and that was the cross of receiving, that cross in the middle is the cross of redemption. And what was happening on that center cross compelled the other two to make a choice. Because see, on that center cross was a man that didn't deserve what he was getting, but he did it anyway for you and I. He did it so we might be forgiven. He did it so we might be saved. He took our place. And the love that was coming down off of the cross of redemption compelled them to choose. And it compels you to choose this morning. It compels you to respond. That man that died at the beginning of my story, his funeral was that week. Many people in town were talking as you may have been to a funeral of someone that was not well-liked. They were discussing what in the world is the preacher going to say about this man. I mean, how do you uh, get up in front of a group of people and talk about a guy that was so hated and so bad and so mean? You know, in the, the term, you know, lipstick on a pig was thrown around. And, you know, it's going to be the shortest funeral ever in our town. And what in the world is he going to say? And uh, so people were there. And the pastor got up in that funeral and he didn't say anything about the man's background. He acknowledged that he'd made some mistakes, but he talked about what happened in that hospital room. He began to explain that while his whole life had been defined by his deceit and his dishonesty and his, his meanness, his eternity was defined by the prayer he prayed in his last moments of life. The pastor said, it's like a football game. He said, for the first three quarters of this man's life, the devil was winning. And it, matter of fact, looked like a route. It looked like a route to his family. It looked like a route to this community. But as time was ticking down, Jesus threw a Hail Mary. When the buzzer sounded, didn't matter who won the first three quarters. All that mattered was what happened in the end. His life was changed by faith. I'll tell you this morning on this Palm Sunday as we get ready to enter Holy Week, your life is defined by the choice you make about the man on the middle cross. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that it's never too late. That we're never too far gone. We're never too far away. But God, I thank You that You, each one of us in this room has a choice to make. A choice of rejection. A choice of, of walking away or a choice of receiving. God, and while the choices we make in this life, most of them end up defining us, that choice about that cross defines our eternity. Father, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here that has never made that choice, they would hear your voice, they would sense your spirit. And they would receive you. Nothing more complicated than what that man said. Remember me. 
save me. And that, Father, as they say those words with their heart, as they say those words to you, that your spirit would come and change them. That they would experience your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy and be overwhelmed with a, a difference. That emptiness filled for the first time. Father, you move this morning. Speak to us. Father, for those of us that are believers, I, I pray that you would encourage us those people that we've given up on, those people that we've written off, those people that have rejected us a hundred times, God, let's go back one more, two more. That family member that hangs the phone up and won't talk about it, we keep praying. because It's never too late. Never too far. God, we love you. Speak to us now. In your name. Amen. Would you stand as we worship? Amazing.